Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Does anyone here remember the Lawrence Welk Show? All right. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know the Lawrence Welk Show, it was a musical variety show hosted by Lawrence Welk, who was a big band leader. And with my family being uh, extremely musical, my grandpa was a high school uh, band teacher. That's where my parents met. And then my family on Sunday nights would often travel from church to church around the area and do different musical numbers and skits or be part of a brass ensemble. Uh, so they loved big band music. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you're thinking, well, Kevin's not very musical. <laughs> I did play the trombone. And... Yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> if Ska ever makes a comeback, then I will be your guy. But in the meantime, I'll continue to keep Chris and Amanda on the worship team. But my family, they loved big band music. My dad would play it in the car often. So watching the Lawrence Welk show felt very much like watching my family, just on a much larger scale. So I don't remember too much of it other than the big band. Um, the guest singers, and I think there were possibly some dancing. I'm not quite sure. But the one thing I do remember is that they had a Christmas special that was on every December when my mom and I would set up the Christmas tree. So we'd always set it up, I think, on like a Saturday evening and the first Saturday of December, and we would start putting this tree together, and the Lawrence Welk Christmas special would be on. So I actually Googled it, and I found out that their last Christmas special that they produced was in 1985. So that's kind of the age of this show. He had retired in the early 80s, in, the, in his early 70s. But it was the Lawrence Welk Christmas reunion, and it was the last show that he appeared in with his musical family and with his grandkids. And to me, it just kind of kicked off Christmas singing the Christmas songs, hearing the big band. And there was something so special to have that going on while my mom and I would put this tree together. And there was something so exciting about kicking off the season. And man, the tree that we put together, when I, when I say put together, I, I actually mean we put together the tree. There, there was none of this pull it out of the box and let it flop open and plug in the lights. It was a long brown pole that was supposed to look like a tree. And then at different intervals going up, it had holes going around. And you'd have to plug in all the branches. And we had like AA and BB and CC and ABC. And you'd get all the branches just right and get it in there. But man, there was something about that tree that I just loved. And there was something special about setting it up with my mom and decorating it with her and, and seeing it light up each year. I was excited to help her prepare our home for Christmas because I knew it was the start of something special. It was the start of the season. It was just beginning. And as we continue to journey into Advent, we are invited into a season of preparation. And it's an invitation to slow down, to reflect and to prepare your heart for the arrival of the incarnate Christ. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke's gospel where we're going to be reading starting in chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And for those of you who are watching online, I owe you an apology. 
uh, probably no one in here even realizes that last week I said, for those of you in here, I'll have it on the screen behind me. For those of you watching from home, Brianne, you're nodding. Um, the only verse that came up was Satan masquerades as, the, as the, an angel of light. And, and that was the only verse that came up. Anytime that we had a new slide, it was just Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So this week, we made sure that Satan's not masquerading as an angel of light. The slides are correct. But Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since... I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born and will, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. May God bless the reading of his word. Preparation. As we enter this week of preparation, I keep thinking back to this text where the angel appears to Mary. And we first have Mary's response, which is this beautiful picture of this loving obedience where she, she has this relationship that, that the angel tells her, you who are highly favored, she knows who God is, who Yahweh is, and she has this relationship with him. And God says, I want her to carry my son. And she simply replies by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She recognizes that she's been met by the divine, and she's being given a divine responsibility. But I also think about what it must have felt like for her to begin preparing for a birth she had not yet been anticipating. This past week, we wrapped up our parenting course, and in the session, one of the couples that was being interviewed shared that they had 10 days to prepare for their children because they had applied for adoption eight years earlier and they had gone through the process and then they said, we got the phone call and they said, we have a child for you. You will be receiving them in 10 days. Like, can you even imagine <laughs> the preparation needed in that? But pregnancy, it's filled with so many emotions, especially when it's your first child. 
There are so many unknowns. It's all new ter territory. You're reading the books and you think I'm going to be the perfect parent. And then you realize that, man, this is a lot harder than the books make it sound. And Amanda and I didn't think it was enough to just have a baby. So we decided to move cross country a month after Landon was born. So he was born in BC on April 30th. We moved here to Ontario, May 31st. And, uh, now when we think back and we think, why did we do it in that order? We just kind of scratch our heads and laugh and we're like, what, what were we thinking? But Advent is a season of preparation because it's a season of anticipated and expected coming and arrival. We prepare because we know that on Christmas, Jesus, the Christ child, is born. And I believe that preparation is an act of love. Preparation is an act of hospitality. We prepare to welcome others. So during Advent, we prepare our homes and prepare our hearts. And we prepare our homes by filling them with evergreen trees to help us rem remember the ever-present and infinite goodness of God. We fill our homes with additional lights to help bring warmth and brightness to our lives in a season of ever-growing darkness. Advent has become a season in which we prepare our homes in ways that will help us remember the importance of this season and who it is we're waiting for on Christmas Day. But what happens when we forget? What happens when it's no longer an act of love but becomes an act of duty, something that we have to do? You see, Advent is also a season when we prepare our hearts. But for more and more people, this season is no longer being marked by hope, love, joy, or peace. Instead, if you ask most people, it's a season marked by stress and chaos and crowded stores and maxed out credit cards and a sense of feeling like we haven't done enough or bought enough or that what we have done simply isn't good enough. For many, we've forgotten what the season is truly about. In a book called Revelation, it's the last book in our Bible, John writes a letter to seven churches. And in his first letter to the church in Ephesus, he encourages them with the good works that he's seen, that he's witnessed. But he then says this in chapter 2, verse 4, but I hold this against you. You have forgotten your first love. Friends, as we journey into Advent, let me encourage you to remember your first love. This is the very heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is love. We love because he first loved us. The Ephesians had abandoned the love that they'd showed at the beginning. They were operating out of this place of duty, out of moral superiority. They were religious. They were doing things well but they had forgotten their first love. They had forgotten their why. So John, the author of this letter, says, repent and renew your love for Jesus. This must always be kept firm and central. But he also says, repent and do the works you did at the beginning. Now, if you catch that, you're probably thinking, wait a second, I didn't think it was about works. Well, love in the early Christian sense is something you do, giving hospitality and practical help to those in need, particularly to other Christians who are poor, or sick, or hungry. 
this kind of love was the chief mark of the early church. It was loving others actively. No other non-ethnic group had ever behaved like this. Love of this kind, reflecting God's own self-giving love for them, was both the best expression of and the best advertisement for faith in God. It's easy to let this slip. It's easy to settle down into a vague, comfortable existence that puts our own needs first. So John calls the Ephesian church to wake up. Remember how things used to be. Repent. Get back on track. Remember your first love. And as we prepare our hearts for this Advent season, I believe we need to repent as well. I'll be first to admit it. COVID has made things very comfortable. And there was a part of it where I'm like, man, I kind of love being able to golf on a Saturday afternoon and then watch the service later. I kind of like being able to stay in my pajamas and watch the service online. And it's weird saying that as the pastor, but I'm just laying my cards out. But we need to return to our first love. He who is love, Jesus Christ. He is the one we're preparing to encounter this Christmas. He is the one who gives us hope, love, joy, and peace. He's the one that we share with others to bring light into the darkness. Jesus Christ must be our first love. If anyone else, including ourselves, is sitting in the the throne of our lives, the first seat, the driver's seat, then we need to repent and we need to put Jesus back in the driver's seat. We need to put him back in his rightful place as the true king of the world. Friends, we prepare for Advent for reasons far beyond ourselves and for our own needs. As much as we've been conditioned in our Western culture to believe that our faith is just this me and Jesus thing, Advent reminds us that it's a season to take time for what matters most, people. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, and he responded with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. For almost two years, we've been told to self-isolate, to socially distance, to keep to ourselves, but we are created for relationship. We're created for community. We're created for togetherness. And we prepare for Advent for reasons far beyond ourselves and for our own needs. We prepare in order to bring Advent to others. Just as we celebrate on Christmas, Jesus' arrival in our world to be with us, to rescue us. It's not difficult in our community to bless our neighbors, especially for those of us living in the new development of Binbrook, Like, man, Halloween's easy because we can just get from house to house to house because they're packed in there like sardines. So for those of you living in the country, it might be a little harder to see what's going on at your neighbor's house. But yes, there are global needs beyond our community. But sometimes I feel as though we focus on the needs out there further away because it's easier, 
it's quicker, it's less messy. Maybe it feels safer to just give money to a faraway cause than to invite our neighbors into our homes for dinner. So try this with me. Who is someone, a neighbor, that you could invite over for dinner? Just think about that. Now, if you're anything like me, you might have thought of one or two people. There's a couple neighbors that instantly come to mind. I'm like, oh, it'd be nice to get to know them. But you probably also thought of a list of excuses why you don't have time to invite them over for dinner. I was thinking, well, oh man, our house isn't clean. I don't really know them that well. Is this really like a dinner vibe thing? Or it's a busy season, they're probably busy maybe in the new year, and we keep coming up with these excuses to kind of just push it off a bit and, and feel a little bit safer. But let me encourage you in the next day or two to move beyond yourself and do it anyways. It might not be for dinner. It might even just be, let's grab coffee. But I believe breaking bread together, sharing a meal, even if it's a takeout meal, is a low barrier way to grow from acquaintances to friends and to make time for what matters most, which is people, to actually check in and see how they're doing. Because I know it's been tough for myself. I know it's been tough for several of you. And I can only imagine what some of our neighbors are going through. When COVID first hit, many of the messages I was receiving online were actually from people within our community where divorce was just wreaking havoc. Separations, divorce, moving. And as time went on, the, the messages kind of died away and the relationships kind of grew a little more distant. And I don't hear from them as often. And I sometimes wonder what happened to some of them. And I pray for them but I'm like, man, people need the hope of Jesus Christ. People are desperate for hope. They're desperate for love. Tish Oxenrider, she's helped shape some of the material that we're going through in our Advent series. She actually has an Advent devotional called Shadow and Light. And she says this, we are blessed by each other's sticky-handed children and disheveled laundry piles in the corner. The crux of Advent is Emmanuel, God with us. Christ came to our messy earth, our busyness, our imperfection. We embody the heart of Advent when we mutually invite ourselves into one another's lives. Care about people worldwide, but not at the expense of the souls on your street. Wow. Who is someone that God is bringing to mind? What is God saying to you? Do you feel him nudging you toward someone? Do you hear his still, small voice? Are you able to hear God's voice in the midst of the noise? As we continue to journey into Advent, take time to listen to the voice of God. There are hundreds, if not thousands of voices constantly competing for our attention in our hyper-connected world. 
and we are in desperate need of silence and stillness. But for many, silence and stillness has become unbearable. It's sometimes too much to, to sit with some of the pain maybe we've experienced, the grief that we're carrying. Some of us might discover that we don't really like who we are. So to be silent with ourselves is so incredibly difficult. It's often easier for us to watch a quick clip from other human beings who are eager to share their newfound advice with us than it is to quiet ourselves and listen to the wisdom and discernment that comes from our all-knowing and all-loving good God. In John's gospel, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Do you know the voice of God? Are you following him in this season of your life? What would it look like to turn off a few of the other loud voices this season. Perhaps by muting some of the other voices, you'll notice more clearly, or you'll hear the quiet voice of the Lord. You'll see him leading your next steps in the darkness. When we light these Advent candles, it reminds us that God provides a flicker of light just when we need it. But it requires that we pay attention, that we keep our eyes open. We can't be too focused on the other voices that are vying for our attention. We have to be paying attention for where God's at work, where he's leading us, what he's speaking to us. We have to remember our first love. And then we have to make time for people and then we have to continue to listen to the voice of God in the days ahead. Where's he leading you individually? Where's he leading us as a church? What or who is he calling us to? I'm just in the initial stages, but I'm already planning a New Year's series, which I'm thinking is going to be a bit more on ecclesiology. What is the church? What does it mean to gather as the church? And I'm thinking of setting up tables and making it kind of like we did during our Alpha series. And together, I want to invite us into listening to the Holy Spirit, to what he's saying to us as a church, saying, God, what are you doing in this new season? Let's call it post-COVID, even though I know we're still in the thick of it. But wh where are you leading us? Who are you calling us to reach? And how can we come together as the expression of church in this community for your glory? So stay tuned for that. I'm excited to start developing that more. But we're not simply preparing for a holiday in Advent. We're not just waiting for a day off work. We're not just waiting for some new clothes to wear, some toys to play with. We're preparing to encounter the true king of the world, Jesus Christ, God with us, who stepped down into the darkness to rescue us and give us the gift of life that none of us could have achieved on our own. As the angel says, nothing is impossible with God. 
he has made it possible to have a right relationship with him. At Christmas, God demonstrates his love for us by sending his son to be born as a human baby, to live among us and ultimately die for us. As we receive God's love, as we're transformed by it, we are called in turn to love him by loving others as his representatives in this broken world. So let's trust steadily in God. Let's, lo let's love extravagantly. And may you experience the thrill of hope as we continue to journey into Advent and move closer to Christmas Day. So as we prepare to celebrate communion, let's just take a moment to reflect on a few questions I've put behind me. Do you remember your first love, Jesus? Whose voices are you listening to this season? And in what ways can you bless others this week? Let's just take a few moments now, and then I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son that we are preparing to encounter once again on Christmas Day. But God, what's even more is that you are already with us in the waiting as we wait to celebrate, to feast, and to share your love with others. You are with us. And I pray that when we leave here this evening, that you will guide us to those in our community, to our neighbors who need hope this season who need you. God, help us to remember our first love, what drew us to you. God, thank you for your love, for journeying with us, for speaking to us, for leading us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.